0: You are listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avrom and I hope you enjoy this episode. Queer the aisles. The projectionist has Micha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzchak Kowalski. Day after President's Day, we we missed it, Yitzchak, on two twenty two twenty two, but um, that didn't stop you from. Uh, you know allowing yourself um some presidential uh previews some sort of uh you were you you, you took a, a a shot at a film that was i guess um you know a, giving people a uh, a a an understanding a appreciation of a president that was only gone i think when the movie came out only the president it was it was only a question of about you know Less than thirty years, I guess, um, since that person was president. But um, and 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 it's I actually had not heard about this film, and neither did you. But but um, why why don't you start us off here with your? Uh, you're not going to call this your presidential pick, are you? It's more like a presidential curiosity, or is this really well, a pick? You
1: know, I, I had heard of the film actually because uh, Glenn Beck writes a lot of books on history and. Uh, he uh, likes to do it in a form of storytelling uh, when he brings out the historical stories about all kinds of interesting, you know, heroes and villains of history. And he certainly, uh, you know, I, to me, one of the most satisfying things to hear in media is to hear Glenn Beck express his deep hatred for Woodrow Wilson. And it's just something. It's just something curiously satisfying about that i don't know why it is and it's i've certainly been influenced by that but in one of the books that he wrote which is an anthology of you know just stories of heroes and villains of history he talks about wilson and then he talks about this movie about how you know it was really played up by 20th century fox when they made this movie as this great brilliant masterpiece to talk about this great brilliant president you know who was you know you know you know such a visionary and so ahead of his time and such a progressive um, and uh, but you know somehow it didn't gain that appreciation in the box office that it was really played up as being this really great brilliant film that It really wasn't, you know, it was, it wasn't a horrible film. I, I, you know, I, I, I was, I, I could say I enjoyed it, you know, even though I, I not a fan of the, the person that, that it's about. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of see Wilson as kind of the forerunner of a lot of the issues that have been plaguing us really since his time he really was a person who, i think did tremendous tremendous damage to this country uh although he did some great things but the, the, i think much of the damage outweighs the, the well, uh, positive well, what,
0: what, but, he did become pre- again he was president he won the 1912 us presidential election right and uh he was president I mean, for he was president he for two president,
1: terms yeah his 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 election was really a fluke because uh, Teddy Roosevelt was trying to run for a, but not a direct third term, not an immediate third term, but after being out of the White House to try to get back in and he really broke up the, um, the, the Republican ticket. Actually, in the movie they had uh, a picture of uh, they said it's a simple equation um, the, the elephant divided by the moose equals the donkey that it was <laughs> right in, in other the words,
0: words Roosevelt was the bull moose party uh yeah. the elephant was taft and right. once you had the bull moose which was uh Teddy Teddy took all the votes away from the incumbent which allowed uh, w- which Democratic allowed this this you know this intellectual governor this intellectual governor of New Jersey uh yeah, to become president
1: briefly a governor you know he 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 started you know he was the president of Of Princeton University for for a long time and he was only governor quite briefly Mm -hmm. Um, so you know and and it was it's the way I know the way Glenn Beck played it was that he was introduced into politics by these uh, bosses in you know who you know were using him and saw him you know as an opportunity for themselves to get power and in the movie it shows how he really kind of double-crossed these people who gave him this power. Um, you know, it, it, again, it, it plays him to be, you know, this great hero. Um, but it's it, it, it's really a, a, a quite an obvious propaganda piece. It wasn't, you know, during World War II was when the film was released in 1944, you know, near the end of the war. And, you know, with, you know, seeing the the shadow of world war one uh, being cast upon world war Two, uh there is you know certainly it's i i i believe it's in a way a pitch was a pitch for the united nations because you know since the, his failure of uh, bringing the united states into the league of nations which really meant that the league of nations was you know even though it existed Uh, As an organization, it it pretty much had no power and no clout, Um, and it was really pitching. You know what a big, you know what a sad event that was. and I remember as a child hearing in history class, you know, uh, even elementary school about this, and being on on Wilson's side. You know, you know, identifying with this intellectual, identifying with this, you know, what what a great president he was that he had a PhD and he was. You know, it was it was you know, yeah. Uh, you know, what a shame it was that that he didn't accomplish you know all these great visions they had. But yeah, well, yeah, growing, the, the, up, yeah. growing up, I realized uh, these visions were were corrupt. And,
0: and <laughs> I were, well, look, know. the pair. I would say Yitzchok. You know, I, I know you're getting off here on a soapbox against Wilson. But I would, in terms of why this film was made. I would assume that it wasn't just you know, a way to build patriotism. It was a way to sort of pa- to draw a parallel between you know, America's role in World War I to World War II. Uh, Wilson did not enter the war when the war began. Um, it was, Some people thought it was actually an election ploy to send all these troops over, right? Um, it was not uh, there was an element of Wilson's first term where he was uh, somewhat of an isolation isolationist was going on in Europe, and it was only uh, I think it was political. He was, so ad- was you know a couple. Was, right. There was I think it was political advice was to 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 then make an about face and really have a, a, you know a mass draft to send you know millions of, of kids to fight and. um, and it, at the time, you know, it wasn't, you know, the, the power of the presidency was so strong that I guess people didn't realize what was what was happening there. And 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 there are those that blame what Wilson did to the break the the outbreak of the of the Spanish flu. There are uh, epidemiologists who have done their research that have determined that it might have started somewhere in Kansas, and then when it came to Europe from uh, From the troops that Wilson pushed out there that that 's where the contagion began and was this greatest killer uh, of the twentieth century, so i don 't know if you were aware of that, but that, that is one of the other uh, terrible consequences of you know you know, of, of fighting that great war that Wilson uh, began that incredible propaganda. I think that was part of it you know Wilson was Wilson and his team you know w- were able to muzzle any voices against them, as you know. So he actually acted very much like almost in a dictatorial fashion during his second term. So, you know, I, I, Wilson definitely needs to be reanalyzed uh, for this time, but it, it seems like they were trying to draw a parallel to, to what FDR's policies were to Wilson's policies, and that the victory of World War I was similar to the victory, the incipient victory they thought would happen in World War II, despite the... Great amount of American casualties that were obviously uh, ripping the hearts out of so many people. But let's talk about the movie. It's like you're talking about the politics. You know, again, you could have a, a film about a, a, a character that you don't like, but the film can be made well. Do you have anything to recommend the film? Alexander Knox, who plays Wilson, um, uh, would you say uh, he inhabits the role? He's a he's a person. I mean, Wilson was not Mister Charisma, <laughs> right?
1: It really, I, I, I really believed he was Wilson. You know, from what I know of Wilson, he really, I felt he was. He, he looked like him. You know, it was, it was, it was. It, he did a very good job there, I think. And for me, it was a delight. Some of the other actors who were in there, um, you know, uh, Vincent Price is there. Uh, <laughs> See, yeah, and,
0: uh, William McAdoo. Yes,
1: yeah. And, um. Uh, eddie foy jr plays his father eddie foy uh-huh. I, I mean, we were talking about a movie with with eddie foy jr recently but uh, with the three stooges uh that we'll, maybe we'll talk about another time but uh that was interesting you know it was where uh, wilson was out seeing a show and and managed to have in that with that you know that was who was in the show um required Charles Coburn was in a very yeah, uh...
0: right. Charles Coburn and Thomas Mitchell are two of the great character actors, really, yeah. uh, of the Golden Age of Hollywood. Um, um, look, it's an all-star cast in in many ways, right? Although it doesn't really have a superstar. I mean, Charles Coburn and and Thomas Mitchell are two great. Um, I mean, they could ham it up and I, I could just watch those two guys, you know, just hamming it up continuously. I mean, they they are great in so many films whether it's stagecoach or um, uh, um, uh, all, um, the, the Lady Eve. Um, there's just a lot of great films that these two guys are in. And, and uh, are they wasted? Uh, do you feel that they 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 make a good contribution? Sir oh, Cedric Hardwick, Sir Cedric Hardwick, you know, from, uh, you know, was was in that film as well. Um so you know, they, they all they all do a good job with what with
1: the material they're handed. They they were handed really material that was um I, I don't I, I don't wanna use the wrong terms, but it was it was I think it was overly um you know, uh almost almost a Vitazara you know well, okay, yeah. level of, of the of, of appreciation for Wilson which uh, you know which which we see these you know the cults of personality that come up in politics but it's uh well i know, can tell
0: you t- t- i can tell you that the, you know today the film is pretty much ignored but just like many films at the time uh, obviously hollywood was knuckling under to this uh, jingoist pressure because uh it was nominated um for the Academy Award. It actually won, it actually won uh, Lamar, uh, Lamar Trotty, who seemed to make a, a career out of <laughs> writing these biopics. I know he wrote The Young, he was also the writer for Young Mr. Lincoln, uh, John Ford's masterpiece, I think, about Abraham Lincoln, uh, which I would, I would have advised you to watch instead. But uh, Trotty did write the screenplay. Um, it actually won for Best Cinematography of that year as well so it must the
1: cinematography was beautiful and and it's beautiful Technicolor. right it, uh, it won
0: the best art direction uh it also was the best sound and best film editing
1: um and, and again I, those were well deserved i you know it was it was a very beautifully made film uh but just really uh it's it's just so shameless of how You know, they they at the
0: beginning of the I don't get it. So all these biopics from the 30s and 40s are shameless. None of them are none of them are meant to give the type of dark aspect that Scorsese is going to do for Jake LaMotta and 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 Raging Bull, right? You know, you know, you're not going to get or or even Spike Lee did for, for 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 you know for Malcolm X. Um, right. You you aren't going to get you know I, I the, the you go yeah, to like a bio Mickey, you go you go to a biopic you you go to a biopic as uh, you, you a bi- as,
1: as, uh, as young Tom Edison and Spencer Tracy as Edison the man and these movies were also and Edison was or Cagney was Cagney person.
0: is George M Cohen, right yeah. I mean I mean basically the film is meant or, or is meant to all the biopics that I know you know again the greatest ones gary cooper in sergeant york gary cooper as um as lou gehrig in pride of the yankees i mean these are all meant to display these people without their warts right um it's meant to see them as heroes and that's what hollywood was looking for you know they felt america was looking for people that were heroes i just have a hard time seeing how you could relate you know what where's the dynamism in woodrow wilson to see him as a hero yeah yeah you know Gehrig had a quiet strength you know he's going to right you know wilson i mean it seems like look spielberg and again we don't talk about recent films but spielberg you know you know did a magic he and daniel day lewis in turning lincoln into a real human being and not into a god um you know in the film lincoln so you know, i think it's tough to be able to um to to do a biopic of a president and you know for it to for a 21st century critic rabbi like you to be satisfied with it, right? You know, especially if it's something from, you know, from the 1940s, the way it is. Um, but, but again, I, I'm just going to say that you know blood will out. The fact that I think it's been sort of left in the dust of you know, Hollywood history shows that people do not really think it that culturally significant. And I don't think it's just because they're in, on Glenn Beck's side. There must be no, something
1: either because uh... you know, he certainly ha- he cer- Wilson certainly has his admirers too today, like I said, my school teachers growing up, you know uh, we, we, we were taught that that he was really one of the greatest you know that's that's what I remember as a very young child, I'm thinking third or fourth grade, uh, you know the kind of pedestal that Wilson was put upon, um, you know I was certainly taught to respect him. And uh, it was something that, that changed in my view of the world. You know, when I when I got older.
0: You know, so, I, yeah. Look, you know, I you know I'm always suspicious when um, the studios, in, in this sense, Fox, uh, their tagline for the film was "Drama and spectacle unparalleled, entertainment undreamed of." Yeah. Twelve thousand players, two hundred mighty scenes. <laughs> yeah.
1: The movie, the okay, movie two and a half hours long. Which, that,
0: that, okay, okay. That it
1: when when,
0: when, it, when you have to put a tagline in all capitals and tell your audience it's drama and spectacle, what what, what was it? Because you had all the conventions, right? People going to World War One is that was the drama and spectacle that you were seeing? Uh,
1: there were a lot of conventions in this movie,
0: undreamed <laughs> of. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look. I, I,
1: I. Mean, I, I it, it, it sounds like something else, like like some of Vincent Price's later work. Rather,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you don't want to dream about. Yeah, it's unreal, yeah. though Yeah. Uh, look. You know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so it's definitely a curiosity. Interesting to see Alexander Knox. You know, had a pretty decent career. Um, I, I would love to. I would love to see him and and Edward G. Robinson in The seawolf where he plays Humphrey. He plays the, uh the bookish. Um, uh, intellectual who ends up being lost at sea and being picked up by this uh aggressive uh you know this is sort of like a uh, a nietzsche uh, book about about Nietzscheism, about the, about the Superman about what it takes to be a great human being and i 'd love to see that film uh him and energy robinson because um that that would be great to see him because yeah it it, listen, it it must be something to be able to hold your own in front of all that all that hammy all that hammy stuff. Well, um, let me talk about 1944, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, where I'm coming from. Um, this is MGM's 1944 um, uh, offering. And it, it was released in August 44. And again, it, World War II, Yitzchak, obviously, just like uh, wasn't just what was happening overseas. It was clearly uh, taking its toll on young on families who would send their uh, children who had sent their uh, husbands and wives, sometimes shortages, the whole country in a way was reeling. They had gone through the depression and now they were reeling from the years of war and wondering was, were we on the right path? Will, would there be victory? Would the world be a better place? Had the world become un- unstable? Um, and therefore You know, we think about pandemic, and we think about how difficult it's been for there to be mass-produced entertainment during, you know, that 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 centered on the pandemic era. Uh, People don't know, Uh, and I've seen critics talk about that—that they're not sure what sort of films can somehow deal with people where they are now, making mention. Or maybe they shouldn't. Maybe nobody should be masked. Maybe there should be no mention of it. Um, Whereas it's interesting, World War II, it was clear from many of the films. I talked about The Clock a couple of uh, weeks ago. Vincent Minnelli. The the war was everywhere. It wasn't like we're existing outside of the reality. Hollywood today is struggling with that, trying to be able to uh, give over verite. But that wasn't the case during... um, Uh, world war ii and there were many many films that respected the fact that things were going on in terms of uh spies nazis fighting and death um but it was a sanitized different version of world war ii a world war ii that hollywood needed to project for people in order and maybe it's because the government had their uh hand on the scale to push for certain messages. Maybe they were a push to make that film about Wilson in order to emphasize and sort of like, you know, what FDR and Truman's policies, um, it's possible. Um, Therefore, I think when anything that comes out during this period, you need to see it through the lens of World War II. And in 1944, the film that I want to recommend, not just talk about, is National Velvet um it was uh, Clarence browns film um <laughs> the characters are also the browns but uh the affinity to the to to the to the uh material uh, it was a, a 1935 book uh that was written by yeah in... so obviously a brit who was a a british woman uh who wrote this book uh she's she was in her mid 40s it was a children's book illustrated by her 14-year-old daughter, and it was a bestseller. Now, the book itself told about a fictionally imagined story about a 14-year-old girl who, if you read those, the book, is, is anorexic. She She's thin. She's not attractive. Um, and um, she, she grows up in a house that she has support, but she is somewhat of a dysfunctional home. In the original book, uh, her her mother, uh, it turns out, in England, had been uh, an an incredible female athlete, a very unique female athlete who had swum the English Channel. But because it was an area that women were not meant to excel or even be part of, uh, although she had swum the channel, and but the, the backlash of being a woman pushing herself into an area of uh, in Hebrew, we say persometh, an area where people uh, would look at you. Uh, it caused a backlash for the mother. And the mother ended up, instead of keeping her swimmer's body in an athletic way, ended up just letting herself go to pot, getting married, having a bunch of children. Um, and one of them, of course, is this velvet who, um, in the book, uh, ends up similar to the movie, is able to get a hold of this horse. Uh, a horse is left to her after the suicide of uh, one of her friends in town. And um, she is able with the help of a um, with the help of a, a wandering uh fellow who turns out to be a horse trainer, um, she's able to train this horse and realize her dream of of actually winning what at that time was called um the Grand National, which was a steeplechase where the horses would have to uh, jump over fences and jump over ravines and, um, you know, 30 dangerous, difficult jumps. Um, So that was the story. And the story was popular, um, but it had a darker aspect to it. Uh, And academics who have analyzed this book have said that the source material, you know, really, it's a a proto-feminist tract. It also deals with with a sense of what what your body shape is and and how you're determined. Um, It it deals with an unpopular 14-year-old girl who's recognizing her dreams and a mother who's frustrated. The movie changes all of that. And that is, of course, what movies always did. And instead, they cast, instead of a 14-year-old awkward anorexic, they cast, and this was the Really beginning of the meteoric, incredible rise of Elizabeth Taylor, and Elizabeth Taylor gets this role, um, supposedly Liz and her mother had read the book uh, and the reason and, and they had read the book in England now, Elizabeth Taylor was actually born in England, and uh, her parents, although American citizens, and Liz was as well, she grew up in England. Her father was an art dealer. Um, Her mother, I think, was involved in some sort of, some part of the theater world in in England. But they obviously knew that they had a very uh, precocious and beautiful child. Um, And, uh, you know, (laughs) instead of a 14-year-old, Liz was only 12 uh, when she took the role. And um, this uh, film, of course, is famous. And and, and she doesn't get even top billing. Uh, But she is clearly the star of the film. Top billing... Was given to Mickey Rooney. Now, again, and, and, and the film starts uh, with Mickey Rooney walking down a uh, Sylvan area, which is meant to be the Sussex area of England. But of course, in 1944, you cannot film in England. In fact, uh, many of the car- many actors, including Cedric Hardwick, who was in Wilson, were, were some of the actors who were able to escape as England. Uh, was undergoing the terrors of World War II and the Blitz and other types of bombings, these people came to the United States, including the Taylors. The Taylors came in 1940 uh, when they realized how terrible World War II was going to become, and that's where uh, the dream of Elizabeth Taylor becoming a star began. And She was on this set with a number of other English actors. Arthur Treacher has a very cute role in this, Um, but Mickey Rooney doesn't even try, it's hook, <laughs> to adapt an, 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 an English accent. In fact, I would like to, to, to say here that this film, to me, is sort of like the, the last hurrah of Mickey Rooney um, and the beginning of Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, Mickey Rooney had been, in the 30s, the most popular uh, actor and the most highly paid. He was considered, he had been, of course, in silent films as well, but he really hit his stride being the star of the Andy Rooney serials um, and playing the all-American teenager. And remember, there was no television, there was no Ozzie and Harriet, but there was the Andy Rooney series. And America loved the Andy Rooney series, the Andy Hardy series. Andy Rooney, he's from 60 Minutes. Andy Hardy uh, was Mickey Rooney. And he, of course, his father was the judge, and he was a typical teenager. And America loved it during the depression. And even as the drumbeats of World War II began, this was stability, this was family, this was a little bit of hijinks, with uh uh him being taught at the end the lessons he needed to be taught. He was able to embody every American kid. And despite his short stature, and despite you know, other aspects of him that you could find him clownish he actually was able to capture the hearts of so many uh, american f- filmgoers to be the number one box office star of the late 1930s however as he aged he's born in uh, you know he's born in 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 1920 you know he he couldn't play the kid anymore he couldn't play you know the bad boy
1: you know, you know when he came on the simpsons he said, "You know, I was the top box office star in 1939 and 1940. So then they were like, wow, spanning two decades.'
0: <laughs> he made it at the night, but but the problem was he could be a Bart, he could be, but he but but as he got older, and like it, I
1: said, he was young Tom Edison also.
0: <laughs> right. So there was an attempt Yitzchok to." Like, to push him into adult roles, young Tom Edison, the human comedy, which Clarence Brown made as well. Even afterwards World War II, uh, he played in the biopic of Lawrence Hart. You've heard of Rogers and Hart, right? Words and music. Uh, there was a, a biopic. You've heard of Rogers and Hammerstein, of course, right? Yes, say you know if you've heard of Rogers and Hammerstein, OK. You haven't. All right. Rogers and Hammerstein are just the most successful uh lyricist and songwriting team. Uh right? Okay. So so Rogers and hammer before when before Hammerstein got involved, there was there was Hart, Lorenz Hart, who died young. Mickey Rooney played the young Lorenz, played Lorenz Hart. However, all of those films were really flops. I mean, they're interesting, but basically he couldn't carry a film. Like the way he could when he was a kid. When he was a kid, he could get he could in, in, in Boys Town, he could get top billing over Spencer Tracy. And that that's how great his his star potential was. And what he was able but but it flittered away. And in 1944 he was actually supposed to report to overseas. And he actually won the Bronze Star in World War II for putting on shows and going into combat zones and entertaining the troops with his singing with his dancing with his comedy because you know he had been involved he'd been in silent films he was very very talented person but as a movie star this was really his decline and this film i think when i see the film opening with him walking over the opening credits it's this is mickey rooney's last <laughs> hurrah so to speak again he plays a character who is sort of rootless he's, he's it's clear that he's been estranged from his father the, the the audience knows that the father had been a trainer as well a trainer for swimming the father had actually coincidentally been the trainer of velvet's mother and therefore mickey or as my as he's called uh it, it discovers the name of of the Browns and the city they live in, in this town, Sewell's, and he goes to find them, seemingly to blackmail them, right? He's seemingly coming there to either rob them or blackmail them to ins- to insinuate to the mother that I know you might have had an affair with my father. That, again, the film doesn't put it straight out there, but, you know, it, 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 it pussyfoots around that idea. And um, however, he ends up meeting the 19 what was supposed to be 1920s england version of judge you know of andy hardy and judge hardy's house the film is really about it's it's called one of the best sports films of all time but it's really about the centrality of family and the struggle of keeping a family together during difficult times and understanding where you need to grow and change and accept difficulty and di- disappointment and even possibly death. That is really the theme of, of the film. Um, and it's and it's articulated not by some overweight, um, uh, you know, out-of-it mother, but by Anne Revere, a descendant, I think, I think she was a direct descendant of Paul Revere, who won the Academy Award playing the mother. Again, without even the stitch of of an english accent um i don't think she even tried uh and and she is and and, and remember what hollywood wanted to do here L- london was in a way a suburb of the united states the, the the english they weren't considered the stuffy cousins who we couldn't stand anymore uh, the 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 the, um, the approach was that england was was us films like mrs miniver and others stressed to american audiences that what was the ha- these are the ones who are suffering more than we are they are the first responders they're the ones that are fighting together with us hand in hand against the nazi terror against fascism so therefore the idea of an english family being like an american family made sense so to have a mickey rooney become sort of an adoptive son in that family. And to have an Anne Revere playing the mother without the hint of an accent makes a lot of sense. And here she was giving out incredible homespun wisdom, wisdom about letting children grow up. She wasn't some sort of doddering Baula Bondi or Zazu Pitts type of mother that you sometimes find or some sort of, uh, you know, a screwball comedy, mother who doesn't know what's going on. In fact, to me, the film is is anachronistic and that the mother is almost like she's an oracle. (laughs) She's almost like the spirit of prophecy (laughs) in this film. And everything she says is in your time. Evil evil is necessary because that's how good comes out. You have to realize sometimes that you always have to move on. It isn't wrong to want to have glory. It isn't wrong to have a folly. It, 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 there's no saying grace. There's no priest who comes and gives any bracha uh, or any blessing. This is really about a, a sort of almost a, a, a coming to terms with the last couple of years of the war, but doing it in 1920s England. And, and I think that's why uh, they, they they awarded uh, Anne, Re, Anne Revere the, the Academy Award. She seemed to be saying the important things that need to be said. Now, it's done in a good acting style. Uh, Throughout most of the film, she speaks to Donald Crisp, who's her husband, as if, you know, what do you say, Mr. Brown? What do you say, Mrs. Brown? It's only the very last two minutes of the film that you realize what their first names are. But there's clearly a love between them. There's an understanding. These are great parents. So this really gives a sense to American audience that the ones over there are just like us and the values that we fought for, for England and the people who died at Normandy Beach for the sake of those Europeans were for a, a value that was very similar to the, what it's like to be a, a, just a standard American kid. And, and that's sort of what, what you see in the film. Um, and again, th- no, the main part of the action that most people know. Liz and the horse, Velvet and the horse. Okay, I'm going to go, and, and, and as a critic here, I'm going to say that the last 20 minutes are spectacular. It, it, it is, as, it is as, as exciting as the chariot race in Ben-Hur, uh, and it, it really is great. Now, America loved horse racing. Horse racing, along with professional boxing, college football and baseball, I don't know which one Yitzhak got more people's attention. Biscuit was as big of a, of a hero as Babe Ruth was, as you know. Um, and, you know, Seabiscuit, of course, was, was people, everybody knew about Pimlico, about the Kentucky Derby. So the fact that a horse race was the center of the story was not a curiosity. Um, the, the ponies were something that people loved, um, and and therefore th- that scene of the horse race of how difficult it was and how uh, eventually um, Velvet wins the race is a very uh, well done, and it's definitely you, your heart can be in your throat watching it. However, the horse. And, and and Elizabeth, they were really, it, 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 you don't really get that. We talked about the sense of bonding with the animal. Liz is always talking. The little girl is always talking about how she loves the horse. She talks to the horse. The horse can do anything. But clearly you can see from the film that it represents I can do anything. Um, and yet because she can't strut and say I'm great, she, 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 she projects this on the horse, but it's not like you have such great scenes with the horse. She does ride it, the horse, you can see the horse running, but it's not like Lassie, which was a film she made a couple years before that with Roddy McDowell, and she had a small part in Lassie Come Home. um, The, again, with dogs, you get a lot better acting. There is, by the way, a little mutt in this, I don't know what Uh, uh, what breed it was but there is a dog in this uh, all this this house in england who steals a lot of scenes as well Uh, and you can see how the family loves uh, you know feeding the dog and giving it scraps and the dog is in the top of everything and it's not they brown the director and the animal trainers did a great job because in many of the the movies that have dogs, you can tell that the dog is looking at the trainer. Here, the dog really seems to be involved with the family, uh, totally and completely. So, whatever dog they got, you know, this dog could have been could have gone along with Asta, which is of course the dog in the original two original Thin Man films uh, with uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy, which is one of the some of the greatest dog actors. Along with Rin Tin Tin and Lassie, but th- th- this dog Jacob does a great job. But um, uh, I, it was more Elizabeth Taylor being able to show you that I can, as a twelve-year-old girl, to show passion, uh, to 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 actually say the lines like an English girl, and that was one of the reasons she got the role because she was able uh, to speak with a real English accent. And she had familiarity in riding a horse. She was trained to ride a horse more. Obviously, there must have been uh, some stunt doubles in some, some of the scenes. Uh, there is, a, again, I think Elizabeth Taylor in her biography talked about the fact that during one of the key scenes in this film, uh, she fell off the horse and she injured her back. And it was from there that she began uh, a lifelong, from the age of 12, a lifelong addiction uh, to painkillers which really, in a way, uh, really changed the course of, of, of her life. Um, but, in, you know, in, in this film, she was, in a way, such a... Uh, and she wasn't like a, a Jodie Foster or Brooke Shields in the 70s, you know, being overly sensual. She was clearly just a 12-year-old pretty girl wearing a retainer in her mouth, but she was able to convey sincerity, um, her lines as i said she 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 was a pro she knocked it out of the park and you can see uh, the movie star that she was she was becoming um there's a lot of and, and again you really if you look at that film you can see where you know where where she decides to become the jockey and um and mickey uh my takes her into the jockey room and, uh, you know, and all the, 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 the jockeys are taking their shirts off and getting dressed. You know, there is a there's a little bit of humor there. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's it's really played very well. The, the film is a great family movie. Um, you don't have to overanalyze it the way I am. They'll watch it with your kids. You know, dur- this program, The Projectionist has smicha. We could probably go through many of these programs and say, it's for a more mature yeshiva guy. Um, I would say this film, I would say you could bring your kids, the Kolakowski kids, the Kivilevich grandchildren, perhaps, and, and really um, enjoy the film. Um, just like I said, the family interaction, there's enough of the horse and the dog uh, to make it worthwhile I should also just mention as we as I close here that a number of as I said a number of English um, refugees one of them I think I have to mention she plays uh, uh, um, Velvet's oldest sister Edwina played by Angela Lansbury Angela Lansbury also escapes England um, she is seven years older than Elizabeth Taylor and she plays in this film uh, the older sister who's already interested in boys wearing makeup. Uh, of course, once again, the mother, like a nurse, says, no, it's OK. She can lie. She go with boys. That's what it's meant for. We're not going to come down. Hard. Like, again, this sort of hands off mothering uh, that she was supposedly uh, representative of. But it, it's great to see Angela Lansbury in this film. It's funny because, of course, uh, a year before this film, she was in the uh, remake of Gaslight with uh, Charles Boyer and Ingrid Bergman, and she plays the very devious maid. In fact, for years, Angela Lansbury uh, played uh, played heavy parts. She was actually meaning she was sort of evil <laughs> in many of her films that she made uh, throughout the '40s and '50s. Uh, she's still alive, of course, Angela. She's about ninety-seven years old, I think. I think she was born in nineteen. Um, 25 so she's about 96 now and um she played uh again you know she it's interesting that unlike liz taylor uh, also her fellow refugee you know liz became in just a star that that you know you had to bow down in front of uh, like 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 a comet like a, you know a carrie like we talked about carrie grant and andrea hopper that's the way elizabeth taylor was um she was just uh, so so stunning that, um, you know, she, uh, she dominated. Angela Lansbury had to earn her job. She didn't have that type of it, but it's, but it's, but it is, it is interesting to see her here playing sort of like this older girl who's experimenting with, with boys and uh, watching her here uh, together with Elizabeth Taylor, I think is, it's, it's an interesting treat for me. uh, When I think about, uh, you know, Angela Lansbury, the arc of her career, she definitely is, you know, longevity, you know, unlike Liz and Mickey Rooney, who went through, I think, together between them, 20 marriages. <laughs> I think, I think Mickey Rooney was married nine times, and Elizabeth Taylor might have been married seven or 10 times as well, I guess, um, that, um, you know, angel Lansbury, you know, the, you know the, the small contract players who, you know, had their roles, I think they lived a more stable life. Um, you know, Mickey Rooney, um, the ups and downs, um, yeah, uh, he was. If you remember Yitzchok? You might remember that he sued people around him for elder abuse. Um, you know, he did not. He was not a, a happy person, despite the fact that he, he worked so hard at, at, at his comedy and making people happy, and you know, really a, accepting his old age. And and of course, Elizabeth Taylor. We know. Um, I, I do want to be masker her though with Um, you know that she. Um, uh, Especially after she married Mike Todd, uh, she f- found herself. Uh, she stated her great affinity to the Jewish people, and um, you know, she she believed herself a Jewish woman. Um, she, you know, Mike Todd was a Avram Gershon Grunbaum, <laughs> but he was one of the most successful producers in Hollywood. He produced, of course, the Around the World in Eighty Days and I don't think she ever recovered really from um, you know from his you know, from, from the tragedy of, of his dying in that plane crash uh, but uh, she uh, when uh, in the late 50s early 60s uh, she gave millions of dollars to the UJF uh, I think I've mentioned this before to you how the Arab countries banned her films because they saw her as a Jew and saw her as, a, as someone who was a supporter of Israel so I, you know i I think we have to be Moscow or Latov. I think she was a you know she uh she might not have had a, a burial in a um in a but she did have a tahara and she did have a uh, you know uh, there was a, a to me a little bit of a Kiddush Hashem because uh they did not wait for all the dignitaries to come because there was some rabbi that was involved in her funeral that said we we have to bury her as soon as possible after you know when she died I think it was in two
1: thousand eleven so yeah, her her uh, conversion she said it wasn't for her Jewish husbands she always wanted to be, she wanted to be Jewish for a long time before meeting them, so it wasn't uh it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't for marriage well
0: again it's interesting again you're getting, you know, you know how you know, she was such a beautiful per se i think I really think it holds up i mean <laughs> I don't think England ever was like that and um but still it it uh, it's able to uh i believe hold your interest and in, in a slice of americana or anglo anglo americana um that i think is 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 worth watching and i think the fact that it's uh unlike wilson and i i hate like really contrasting our two picks here but i think you know those films in 1944 they both you know a, a heady amount of nominations but i think national velvet um is a film that, that 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 can still ring a lot of bells, um, and I think it's it, it's it's a fascinating view of of what of you know of what Hollywood needed to do for audiences that were going through a crisis period. What sort of entertainment and what sort of I want to call it subliminal messages? What sort of messages people were responding to? And maybe the messages of Wilson Yitzhak, you know maybe we're not were extremely expensive to make in those days and they were just you know they you know a technical or film was a tremendous treat as you know it was sort of like oh I'm, this is going to be something so i think these two can really stand as a very interesting contrast to each other well that's about it my friends watch your step on the way out we'll catch you hopefully next week be well